name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. At first hearing, the words of the Pharisee in our Gospel parable sound a little exaggerated. That is, even a self-righteous person doesn't typically go into church and say, I thank you, I'm not like him. But it, it may be that, that Jesus is thinking more of the attitude that characterizes his prayer. He may be praying the prayers of the liturgy, but as he prays them, he may have the sense that, you know, I'm doing pretty well. Just like we can bring different attitudes of liturgy. Two people can pray exactly the same words, and one can be full of self-righteousness, and one can actually uh, have the words express the inner intentions of one's heart. There are three beings in the Pharisees' prayer. God himself and the publican or tax collector. He says, God, I thank you that I am not like him. And this standard, this comparison, leads him into what we call the deadly sin of pride. There are only two beings in the publican's prayer. God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. He's concerned with his relationship with God only. He's not looking at anyone else. And this leads him to a, uh, into the virtue of humility. The tendency to compare is rooted in the fall of man. And it was the cause of the Bible's first murder. Cain and Abel made an offering to God. Abel's offering was accepted. Cain's was not. Now, in being rejected, what Cain should have done, and what we should do when we don't do the right thing is, and God's not happy with us, is to say, well, what did I do wrong? Let me go correct that. I will come back, and I will make things right with God so I can back in this relationship. Instead, Cain looked at his brother, who was accepted, got jealous of him, and killed him instead of dealing with his own uh, inadequacies. <clears throat> the tradition of the church is that the fall of the devil is also rooted in comparison. The tradition tells us that the devil was Lucifer, which means light bearer. That is, he was created to be a glorious angel. But he became jealous of the more glorious son of God and led a rebellion in the spiritual realm to try to seize a higher place for himself. And the result of his rebellion, as he was, as Revelation tells us, cast out of heaven, finally and fully by the victory of our Lord. Hence the tagline of our gospel, he who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. We all fall into this tendency to compare because it's part of our fallen condition, whether, and, and it may lead us to feel superior or it may lead us to feel inferior. We may feel superior because we have uh, more money, better clothes, an occupation that makes us feel better about ourselves. We may think we know more than someone else. And these subtle attitudes of superiority happen whether we whether we, you know, we're, even when we're not even aware of them, or we may feel like we don't quite measure up, we may have feelings of inadequacy. And, and they creep over even into church. We, we, as many sermons as we hear about Christ humbling himself to come among us, 
about servanthood and, and these kinds of things to humility, we still you know, get offended, we don't get the recognition we, we thought we deserved. Uh, when someone else gets more attention than we do, or when my idea wasn't followed, it's easier to talk about humility than it is to practice it. We should note, though, in talking about pride and humility that we should note what it really is. So it's not prideful to say, for example, of a, of a, you know, a golfer who is a professional, uh, to have him say to an amateur I'm, or a, a you know, recreational golfer, I'm better than you. That's a statement of fact. And it's not wrong, it's not prideful for us to understand that we have abilities that are greater than others in certain areas, and to assert those abilities when our gifts would be better used in those circumstances. The prideful aspect is to think that because I have this greater knowledge or gift, I am therefore more important in God's sight. This, this makes me more eternally important. The, it, it's this false valuation because it's not the way God looks at it. God made each of us uniquely. He gave each of us gifts and in the economy of God and the body of Christ, those gifts are to work together. So what I have that's better than you is what I'm supposed to give for your benefit. And what you have that's better than me, you're supposed to give for my benefit. And that's how the body of Christ works. Everybody works, everybody benefits from, from the, the gifts of the other. And this, is, this kind of highlights the distinction between the devil's economy and God's economy. The devil's economy is always a zero-sum game. When you decide to operate in that economy, you're always competing with someone else for scarce resources, because it's a zero-sum game. If I'm going to be important, I must make you less important. In the economy of God, in the kingdom, every child of God is destined for glory. There is glory for everybody. There is a way everybody can have a relationship with God, can be in communion with God. Everybody has gifts that, that are valuable for the kingdom and the body. And so we have to embrace this, this new framework and understand so it's not pride to say I'm, you know, I'm smarter than someone I'm smarter than. It's prideful to think that because I am, I'm more valuable to God. And also to think that what I possess as a gift is, is makes me greater instead of giving me a responsibility to him who has uh, more is expected than that person. We should also note that pride exists both in the penthouse and in the gutter. That it's equally prideful to say, I'm too bad and can't be saved, as it is to say, I'm so good I don't need to be saved. Both are based on this false standard of comparison. So self-loathing and self-doubt and, 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 and hatred, which is surprisingly rampant in our time, I think it's rampant because we've, we've, we've gotten rid of the objective idea of value because you're made into God, and we tell people they're great just because they're great. And there's no, it's not rooted in anything. But that is false also because it equally rejects God's standard. Both I'm too great and I'm too bad are a false standard that has nothing to do with how God esteems me. And to, to feel that I'm 
too bad to be saved is to reject God's opinion of you, which is, no, that you, you are a child of God and heir of the kingdom. The only way to effectively deal with the issue of pride, I think this is in both on, on the top and the bottom of that scale, is through our experience with God. It is only as we begin to see God as he really is that we understand ourselves as we really are, both in terms of our sinfulness and then also in terms of the value he places on us. And we see this throughout the scripture. Isaiah, uh, chapter 6, the prophet has a vision of God. He sees God exalted on his throne. He's in the temple, and his response is to say, quote, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. So seeing God as he is revealed to Isaiah his own sin and brought him appropriate humility. That wasn't a false humility, that was true. But then God said, he took a, a coal from the altar, and he, he touched Isaiah's lips, the angel did, and, it, and, and the, the pastor tells us, your, your sins are cleansed, and then Isaiah begins to that See, St. Peter, the miraculous catch of fish we had for a gospel a few Sundays ago, after that miraculous catch, he recognizes that Jesus is God. And he says, he falls and says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Seeing the power and majesty of God made Peter recognize who he was. But then the result, I will make you fishers, a fisher of men. You, you, Peter's ministry came out of this humility. In our epistle today, St. Paul talks about his vision, that last of all he appeared to me, Christ, or this Christ appeared to Paul, as one born out of due time, because he was the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle because he persecuted the church of God. St. Paul saw Christ on the master's road, and seeing Christ, he realized everything he was doing was wrong. And his whole life changed as a result. He became the apostle of the Gentiles. We also see this as St. John, Revelation 1, who has a, a vision of God's glory. The more we see God as he really is, then we see ourselves rightly in relation to that. And out of that vision comes our true sense of self and our true sense of ministry, what we're called to do. This is what we call, this is why we talk about the life of prayer. The life of prayer cultivates this experience of we live in a world where we're constantly reinforced by that false standard of comparison, telling us that in order to be important, we have to be better looking, richer, better dressed, have to have a better job, have to, have to somehow climb up in order to be important. And unless we continually remind ourselves who we really are in Christ, that we're children of God, who are destined for the kingdom, who have certain gifts, who, who must use those gifts in service to Christ and others. That's what we're called to do. Until we see this, we, we become forgetful. And this is why we must have disciplines of prayer. We must remind ourselves daily because we're so forgetful. Coming into the church, the symbolism of the church reminds us of reality in this way. We live in a world where every day where man is exalted. We see the newest sheep in a skyscraper, a, Something. Only when we come to the church do we see things as they really are. 
Jesus is Lord on his throne, Lord of the entire universe. The cross is the centerpiece. We come before him, and in liturgy we, we discover who we really are, or we experience again who we really are in relationship to God. And we begin to learn to see things rightly. This is what the life of prayer is about, about reversing the truth, remembering who we really are, so we can see the world rightly, see ourselves rightly, and live in the right way. And our liturgy sort of scripts out the reality of our gospel in this manner. We, we come in as sinners and we depart as saints. We, we come in asking for mercy. We come in recognizing we're not worthy to gather the crumbs under God's table. As we approach with repentance and faith, Christ comes to us feed on him and receive him and we're incorporated again back into his body and we realize we're children of God and heirs of the kingdom who now go out into the world to serve God and others who he has given us. So we must constantly remember that the way contrary to the world, the way up is down. To become big we have to first become small. As Jesus said in the Gospel, he who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Son.